Hi. Good morning. What's up, Nico? Good to see you, bro. All right. Uh, if you turn, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're continuing our look at uh, 1 Timothy and how it certainly relates to the New Testament church and the direction given through the scriptures to the order of the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications of elders, overseers, or bishops, whichever word you like. Verse 1, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, as always, we thank you uh, so much, first of all, for our Lord Jesus Christ and for uh, the eternal rest that we have and hope and peace that we have through him and our relationship with you now that we did not know before and could not know without him. And Lord, as we do this, we thank you for your word, which is perfect in every way. And as we study these qualifications and these things about the church this morning, uh, give us your wisdom and your insight. Uh, may our hearts be changed. And even in these, this list of qualifications for men to serve you, uh, Lord, we just want to be closer to you and know you better through even this. And we thank you again for your righteousness, your goodness, and your mercy, and your love towards us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So first thing is I want to say, it's interesting when you look at this book that as Paul's writing to Timothy to give him instructions to the church in Ephesus on what to do and how to church correctly, the first thing he talks about is sound doctrine. He talks about a healthy church. And then he talks about the roles of men. Then he talks about the role of women. And then he talks about leadership. I'm not saying Paul's explicitly saying this is the order for a reason, but I'm seeing, and I hope you do too, that eldership is not the most important preeminent thing in the church. You could start a Bible study, save people in your neighborhood, and start breaking bread, and you've got a local assembly without any elders. Elders are not required to have an assembly. However, God in his wisdom and grace has said these people need oversight when they get together. They need something that's going to unify them. So it's important to recognize how God sees the importance in the church. There is a head of the church. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Always and always. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. The role we're looking at this morning is those who are overseers, not rulers. It's important. It's repeated in this and other passages. I want to stress that as we look at this, this work um, and, and what it takes, what kind of man it takes to do this work, it's important to recognize God's view of the church. Men are not the head of the church. The men that God calls out to be elders are there to oversee, to maintain unity and growth and health in the church and to help and serve as shepherds on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, not lords. And that'll come up again later. The first thing he says 
Well, it's a faithful saying, which means it's true and good. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. You have to love the work to be an elder. You have to love the work. It's not about the title. It's not about the position. It's not about preeminence in the church. It's about loving the work. And the work is about loving the people of God. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about the work. It's a desire to shepherd, to love, to nurture, and even protect God's people at personal sacrifice. It means you have a desire to share in their joys and their heartbreaks, to be respected and to be criticized. Sometimes justly, sometimes unjustly, but it goes with the territory. If you're not willing to love these things, you don't love the work. All this has to be done with Christian maturity, and even sometimes it includes silence when it's unfair. Now, desiring does not make one qualified, and qualifications without desire doesn't make someone an elder either. Over the years, there have been men who say, I want to be an elder. I don't think that's God's plan for you. <laughs> we have a list here. And there are men who have been absolutely qualified and say, I don't desire the work. And we have to respect that. No one should ever be coerced or forced into it. Local church leadership cannot be from obligation or guilt. You'd be do, you should do it. You'd be great at it. Look at all these qualifications you have. The heart's not there. They, they, they should not be doing it. The, one of the worst things you could do is put people in church and leadership who do not desire the work. It's too hard. It's too hard. Tremendous reward. Tremendous hardship. It goes together, the whole kit and caboodle. If you don't love all of it, then you can't do it. You can't do it. First Peter wrote to the church in uh, chapter 5, verse 2, do not do it under compulsion, but willingly. When he's speaking to those who are elders. Not under compulsion. No one should ever be coerced into leadership. A church would be better served with no leadership than leaders who don't want to be there, who are made to be there, or feel guilty. Well, somebody's got to do it. I guess I got to do it. That's horrible. That's bad for the church. That's bad for the local assembly when people do that way. We can work together under the guidance of the Holy Spirit rather than in an unbiblical way, which would be worse. Now, there's three terms that we see throughout the New Testament that refer to this office. Paul here uses the word bishop. The other word we see is overseer, and the other word we see is elder. They are the same office in the New Testament church. This word bishop is exactly the same in Greek as the word overseer. For some reason, it's translated differently depending on the passage. When you look up the Greek, it's the same word, episkopos. It means a superintendent, a manager, a caretaker. Obviously not the person who does everything, but the person who oversees the work. The word elder translates in, in Greek to the word presbyter, and it simply means someone who's older. It speaks of maturity. It's interesting, I think, to think about why these different words. I'm going to tell you my opinion on it, and I want to stress this is my opinion. There's no thus saith the Lord, but in studying when these words are used and how they're used and what they mean, 
This is what I think. The first church was started by Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians. They were all Jews. So their community, their synagogue community, their ethnicity, going back to the times of at least Moses, maybe even further back into the time of Egypt, is that every community had elders overseeing them. That's the term they used. It meant older, mature, wise men who would keep everybody together, who would be the ones who would resolve disputes, who could teach the Word of God, who would just be the leaders of the community, the very representative. So to the Jewish Christians, when they start the church and they want to put men, and, and they need men to oversee, the term they're going to use is elder, because that's what they recognize from their culture. The Gentile church does not know this culture. When they go into Asia Minor and Greece and Turkey and all these places that spread the gospel, the word elder, what do you mean somebody older? You just got to pick old people? We're just going to pick old people and make them in charge? Is that what you mean? They didn't understand. So a different word is used for the same office that relates to them, and it's the word superintendent. It has the same meaning to the Jew when they talk about an elder as it does to the Gentile. It means someone who oversees, who has the maturity and the wisdom to guide and lead. That's what they're looking for. So the three words mean the same office coming out of different cultures. I could be wrong. We don't have anything that says exactly how it happened out of the church, but I see where it comes from and where it's used. And that's the, intel that's the best educated guess I can make. Some commentators agree with me, so I don't know if that's right, but maybe, maybe it helps us understand why there's different words. After the early apostolic period, when we get into the second century and the church starts to change, that's when they started taking the bishop out and making them overseeing many churches, and the elder or the presbyter is the one who's like the local pastor kind of work. So it's afterwards, 100 years or more later, when the apostles are gone, and without this teaching, the men start coming up, they have their own plan to way to do, do church. We don't agree with that. We believe elders are local to the assembly, they oversee the local assembly, and that's where they serve. So the word, the, the idea of overseer. In Acts 20, Paul's writing also to the church in Ephesus, like he's writing Timothy, who's in Ephesus, to tell them to shepherd as an overseer. It's, it's a work that he likens to shepherding. When we, we get the beautiful picture of how the Lord Jesus Christ shepherds, and when we think about the elders being under shepherds, doing the work like him, it's, it's to lead the sheep to green pastures where they're healthy, to still waters where they're refreshed. It's to protect them from danger and harm. That's the work. Even Jesus Christ, Peter writes in 2.25, when he says, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So you see this, the, the continuity of the work of the elders under the Lord Jesus Christ, not doing their own thing, but doing the work of the Lord for the Lord, by the Lord. We are working under the chief shepherd. There is one chief shepherd. All elders who shepherd work under the Lord. Not their own agenda, not their own ideology, not their own, own plan. It is to serve the Lord and serving his people. So before we get into the qualifications, I also want to mention a couple other things. How does one become an elder? Now in the first century church, as they were going out and planting churches, people like Timothy and Paul were appointing elders as they started the churches. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20, though. 
Acts 20 and verse 28. And this is what Paul is writing to the elders at Ephesus. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Man cannot become an elder without the Holy Spirit's plan and working in their life to do that work. If I want to do it in my own flesh and I think I have a desire, but it's not coming from the Holy Spirit, it's not righteous. The qualifications and the desire are all going to be inbred by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God through the Holy Spirit for men to want this work and to be able to do this work. I mentioned 1 Peter chapter 5. He also tells them there that you are, uh, let's go there. I want to read it wrong. Go to 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherd the flock, 5 2, 1 Peter. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly. The point I want to pull out of this verse, we're going to be back and forth of these verses many times at different points. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Not below you. It's among you. Elders are, are recognized among the body. We don't hire men from the outside to come in and oversee us. We watch and we help and we desire men to grow within the assembly so they know the assembly and they're part of the assembly. And when these qualifications become transparent and when the desire is there, the assembly recognizes them that the Holy Spirit has called them to do this work. These things all work together. What we want to see is the qualifications being prevalent in someone's life along with the desire to do it. And we recognize amongst us what God is already doing. We never take someone and go, you would make a great elder, why don't you start doing it and see how it works out. We have to see these things prominent in someone's life. That means that's clear understanding for us to recognize the Holy Spirit has, has recognized this man, now we need to do it too. Now, I, I may mention this again later, I try and say things when I think of them, so don't forget them later. You can do the work of an elder without being an elder. If you have the skills and the gifts and the talents and the qualifications, you don't need to be recognized by the church to provide pastoral care for others. You can comfort others. You can teach if you have the ability to teach. We don't have to say, oh, gee, I don't know, you've got to ask the elders. Uh, I mean, I, I could do it, but, you know. No, if you're in the position to do it and you have a skill that works in this qualifications, you don't need to wait to be recognized to do this work. What's that? If God leads you, right. Thank you. I'm going to need to borrow your hearing aids soon. The, um, as I mentioned, elder means older. We're all getting up there now. Um, and as, as I mentioned where, where the idea of eldership comes from, it goes all the way back in, in the Jewish culture. It's not something that the church just came up with and said, hey, you know what, we're starting these churches. How should we lead them? How should we oversee them? Again, coming out of Judaism, the recognition of elders in the, in the community goes all the way back at least to in the captivity or the, um, the slavery in Egypt. When God told Moses from the burning bush to go tell his people that he has sent him, he tells him to go to the elders of Israel. 
when God tells Moses to prepare for the Passover lamb and tell the people what to do to slaughter the lamb, put the hyssop and the blood on the door, he tells Moses to tell the elders to do this work and to tell the people. So there's already been designated by God a pattern that there are men overseeing a community and passing the word on. Right? So I just want to be clear, it's, it's not a big deal, but I think it matters that we know where this stuff comes from. We didn't just sit down one day and go, you know what we should do? We could be different if we did things this way. We don't have to be like everybody else. We're following a biblical pattern. It's why we do things the way we do them, the most biblical way we can. So I just want you to understand those things. Um, and just as another aside, um, as I met, and we were reading in Peter, actually, in, in the first verse of 5, he calls himself an elder. Peter calls himself an elder. John, 2 John 1 and 2 John, I mean, 2 John and 3 John, in the beginning, he, replied, he writes from the title of the elder. So even these men were elders. The first time elders is recognized in the New Testament is in Acts 11.30, when the church at Antioch is sending gifts to Paul through Paul and the other uh, ministers who are working with him, and they're going to send them to the churches in Judea, in Judea. Apologize to the elders when they are sent out in Acts 14 to Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. It is to appoint elders. Acts 14 that early. The council at Jerusalem in Acts 15. The whole dispute of do Gentiles have to be circumcised to be saved? And these men sit in, and this comes to the to the authority in Jerusalem, it is the apostles and elders who sit and dispute that. They're already there in the church. This didn't come 50 years later, 30 years later. I just want us to recognize from the beginning, the church, even in Jerusalem, has recognized elders as church authority. There's a reason why we have qualifications then, so that we can know how to recognize someone. It's a maturity that's needed it's, it's shepherding skills, and there's a list of things here that I don't, well, let's just look at them. Let's go to First uh, Timothy now. Lord, help me to do this without getting fired. All right. <laughs> the, uh, the first thing, now some people think that a bishop then must be blameless is, is a description of all the things that are coming forward which would illustrate that he's blameless. It's a good way to look at it. It's not bad. I think blameless is actually a qualification. It means you have irreproachable character. You are honest. You are upright. Um, you are of the highest moral character. It does not stress this, does not mean sinless. Elders are not sinless. We are men redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, just like everybody else. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to slip up. We're going to offend. But what blameless means is when you're pointed out, you humbly repent. There's no reproach held upon you that you are not humble before God and willing to be corrected. Many other examples that would apply to it. We've got a long list to get through. So it does not mean perfect, but it means no accusation of sin could be held against you in a consistent pattern. The husband of one wife. This one has caused 
struggle in, in, in interpretation for 2,000 years, I think. It literally means a one-woman man. If you're going to change it back to the original language and just re redo it, it just means a one-woman man. Obviously, no polygamy. Now, we're talking about the first church and all kinds of problems they had in the culture they have, but it means a man is devoted to his wife. We would also recognize here at Brantford that a man who was divorced would not be recognized because he's not still with his first wife. I want to take a second while we're talking about wives and recognize the wonderful women that are married to our elders. Andrea, Joy, Amy, I wish you were here. We cannot do it without you. I hope you all realize that. They are not elders. They do not know what we know, and they don't share in all the things that we know in confidence, but we cannot serve without them. We cannot. So I hope you appreciate them and recognize them for the, the humble, graceful way that they support us to do this work. The times we need to be away from our families, the times that we need to do things that are complicated, the load that we carry sometimes, that way falls on them sometimes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for them. Um, so, an elder must be temperate. That means he's consistent and not swayed by emotions or situations. He's even-tempered. He does not sway with his moods. He's consistent. An elder must be sober-minded. That means he's clear-thinking. He understands and respects when the, the severity of an issue, everything's not a joke. When it's time to be serious, seriousness is called for. So they have a clear ability to understand what's appropriate at the right time. Sober-minded. Of good behavior. So close. Orderly. Dignified in their conduct. The way they carry themselves. Of good behavior. Hospitable. Another great one that's, that's uh, interesting to try and translate. To pull out from, again, the, the real intent of the Scriptures and the, and the original translation, when there's a need, your home is open. That's the most literal translation. A lot of times this was recognized because Christians were fleeing persecution. Where are they going to go? Elder's home is open. Someone has a need, someone's lost, someone's traveling. Where do they go? The elder's home should be open. doesn't mean anybody else's home can't be open. If you open your home, I don't need to open mine. That's fine. But it also means sharing, sharing what you have. Hospitable, an open home, willing to share with those who have need. Elders certainly must be able to teach. And to clarify, this does not mean preach from the pulpit. does not mean preach from the pulpit. It means you can explain the scriptures to anyone at any time at a level they can understand. That's the way I would interpret it. What does this mean? Let me show you. I don't know. Let me go study it. I'll get back to you. But either way, they can teach it. But it does not have to be preaching. It's clearly explaining the scriptures to those who have need. Not given to wine. Elder, now, this is true of all Christians. I hope you realize so the things that we're looking at here. What's so special about them? Not much. It could be about all of you. But not given to wine. An elder cannot be addicted 
Wine is, is today symbolic. Smoking, certainly any drugs, alcohol. An elder cannot be owned or ruled by these. It does not mean that they cannot have it, but it means they cannot be owned or ruled by it. Certainly it impairs judgment. But what if, let's just take a scenario here, let's put it in real world practical terms. What if there's a church emergency and an elder's needed? And the elder picks up the phone and says, I, I've had too much wine, I can't come. How are we going to, how's the church going to survive that? You can't have that scenario. You can't have that situation. Elders must always be sober. Want to have a glass of wine with dinner or whatever the case may be? There's nothing in Scripture that says we can't do that, as each is led by, by their own conviction. But must never be in a position where we cannot serve because we've been intoxicated. That is absolutely unacceptable. You need, you need someone to rush to the emergency room and pray with you, and we can't come because we're hammered? You know, that'd be, that'd be impossible to survive. Not violent. Um, I'm going to tell you the truth in love. I'm sure there's several of you that I know could swat up the back of the head wouldn't be the worst thing to happen to you. But God says we can't do that. And my father was here, he'd say, I'm overdue for a few myself and probably would give me one. He used to call it for drill, just in case when I needed it and he wasn't there. But... Um, but no, we, we obviously, as Christians, we are not violent. We, we do not solve our problems with violence. And one of the things we want to recognize, not just, not just physical violence, right? I want to expand this a little bit and understand the intent of why it's there. It's a problem in mankind. We see it today, and it's always been. Those who are strong exploit their position over the weak. They dominate. It's going to be my way because I am physically stronger than you. I am bigger than you. It's been throughout mankind. So in, in the context of the meaning, elders cannot dominate. They cannot impose their will. They cannot intimidate. And they certainly cannot be violent. And none of us should be. Never. Not greedy for money. The love of money is the root of all evil. An elder who is greedy for money, it will influence his decisions. It will influence his priorities. The church will not be first. And the church very well may be impacted. I'm sure maybe this has happened once or twice throughout the history of the church where men have gotten greedy, stolen from the church. It's, 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 it's a love of something other than what God prioritizes. That means our heart is on something other than what we said we were going to love, which is God's people. How are you doing? You guys bored yet? Doing all right? Want to take a stretch break? Doing all right? So exciting to have to preach on a list. All right. The elder is gentle. They must be sensitive to the sheep's emotions and their needs, their, their situation. Must be empathetic. When we have to speak the truth, however hard it may be, it must be done in gentleness and love. That is how, how an elder communicates. It must always be tender. When we have to stand our ground and say, no, that is not okay, we can do it in gentleness. Let our words be seasoned with salt. When we speak the truth, but may we do it in love, understanding the situation. Not quarrelsome. Elders are not those to be who like to sit around and argue things. We can explain things, we can discuss things, we can study things, but we do not quarrel. The elder is not covetous. So we talked about the 
greedy for money, but now we're just talking about everything in life. An elder has to be content in life because you're going to have to make sacrifice to do the work. Can't be loving other things and wanting other things and be jealous of other people. If that's the case, then you don't desire the work. The elder must rule his own house well. If he cannot rule his house, and I love the terminology that Paul uses, if he cannot rule his house, how can he take care of the church of God? Men of God must be the lead in their homes. They must set the example in their home. They must teach and keep their house in order, but with love and tenderness. In a way, it's... I don't want to say a training ground, but I can't think of a better, better way to phrase what, what, he's, what he's talking about here. If you've, if you've raised your home, you've experienced what it's like to oversee a church. You got difficulties, you got moods, you got disagreements, you have some immaturity, you have some childishness, you have some joys, you have some excitements. All these things happen in a home and in a family. If you can experience those things and keep your family growing in Christ, centered on God, and mature through those things, then you have shown that you have the ability to do that in the church. A lot of things are going to be similar in what they happen when an elder oversees his house. But his role here is not to rule, right? It's to take care of. The reason he uses rule is because we are the head of the household and we are managing the household. So we have the position of authority, but it's to do it in the way that we're taking care of our home. We are taking care of our wife. We are taking care of our children. We are not absent in those things. We are not absent. An elder can never be absent from his home. If an elder's home is not in order because he's doing the work of the church, that man is not qualified. An elder's home is not in order. While he's being an elder, he is not qualified because he has not made what God has given him to, to steward his highest priority. My home has to come before you. Some people may not agree with that, but that's how I've always felt. Always. If I do not take care of my home, I am not qualified to, to shepherd here. And the children must be under submission. They must be respectful, having reverence. Again, it's a training ground. It's an example of what it's like to deal with people who have moods and needs and wants. But also learning how to be empathetic and understanding and help them through their crisis. An elder cannot be a novice. Now, this seems pretty obvious. But he gives us the reason why. It's not just that he's inexperienced. A novice may become puffed up with pride and fall to the same condemnation as the devil. We stress here that what happens here is by the Lord. We are serving the Lord. And a novice can see something happen and take credit for it. We do not take credit for what happens here. If we counsel, if we pray, if we, we lead, we teach, we do whatever, and we see growth and we see maturity and we see healing and we see restitution, we give God all, all glory and credit for it. Always and always, God gets all glory and credit. A novice will take credit for it. And then they fall into the same temptation as the devil. We're almost at the end of the list. Hang on. And he must have a good testimony outside. Oh, I've got to tell you, we're going to look at Titus' list too. Good testimony outside. It is not just about who we are in the church. It is not. 
How do people see us outside the church? How do people we work with? How do our neighbors? How do the people we encounter? Family, relatives, what is our testimony? We can bring shame to the testimony of God and uh, <laughs> an elder who's living two lives can certainly fall back into his old sinful life as well. And that discredits the church and the work of God. It also speaks to the fact that when we're dealing with the world, especially the things that are going on today, we may be right and they are wrong in the conversation, but did we handle it in a Christ-like way? Or are we just looking to fight and yell and argue and, and insult people? We always have to be gentle Christ-like, not obnoxious and rude, even outside the church. Even outside the church. All right. Man, I would love to throw a coffee break in. I have so much more. I have like three more pages. All right. But I'm not going to torture you with it. T Titus. Turn with me to Titus real quick. Titus 1, verses 6 through 9. More qualifications for elders. We don't want to leave anything in the Word of God out. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. I'm going to pull out just the ones that are not in Timothy. First one I recognize, he must be a steward of God. Stewardship is a critical component of the Christian life in all things, but for the elder, it means that you are caring for what you have been given that's not yours, just like it's your own. That's what stewardship means. We, 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 we include ourselves in the body, right? So when I say you and we, but the elders are included in statements like this. We belong to God. We belong to God. And the stewards are overseeing what belongs to God. Like it's our own. We cherish and, and nurture it just like it's our own. But we have to recognize First and foremost, everything we do is because it belongs to God and we're doing it out of love and respect for Him that He is honored and glorified by the way we do it and what we're taking care of. You are more valuable because you belong to God than you belong to me. You are more valuable because of that. So I'm going to treat you like you belong to the Most High. You are precious. You're irreplaceable. So as stewards, we need to care for the body in that same mentality. We cannot be self-willed. The needs of the others in the church have to outweigh our own ambitions. A lover of what is good. The elder must be passionate for righteousness. They must prevent injustice and defend the unjustly treated. We have to love. Love is a word that speaks of passion about something. Do we love what is good? Is it important? Is it critical? Is it something that we can't do without? Is it something we cherish? What is good? We cannot allow injustice or mistreatment. Now the next three, I'm sorry I forgot to write down who said it, but I, I love the way they put this together. Just, holy, and self-controlled. They're three separate statements, but they have the same theme. An elder is just, 
is his relationship to others. An elder is holy, speaks to his relationship with God. An elder is self-controlled, speaks to his relationship with himself. With others, the Lord himself. Just, holy, and self-controlled. We have to be those who are just in all ways, in the way we treat everyone. There's no partiality. There's no favoritism. Everyone is treated the same, the same love and tenderness and care and priority. Holy, set apart. We do not belong to the world, and we have to be the example of that. And certainly self-controlled in all things. And he must hold fast the faithful word to exhort and convict those who contradict. When we resolve things, when we deal with things, it's always by the word of God. It's not my opinion of what I think things should be, because God help you if that's the case. It's what does God's word say? That is always what we anchor on, everything we talk about, everything we decide, everything we deal with, how we deal with it, is by the word of God. There's no room for opinion or personal preference among the elders. So here's my question. Now that you've ingrained all these into your memory, and we'll never forget them, who doesn't want any of these in their life? Do we sit around and go, well, I can be violent because I'm not an elder? Of course not. All these things speak to is the mature Christian. That's all I explained and went through this whole list. It's a mature Christian. Why would any believer in the body of Christ not want the fullness and maturity of every one of these things in your life? You, you, because you don't want to be an elder, you think you can excuse some of these things? As the word says, heaven forbid. We should be all desiring these things in our life in the maximum way we can mature them and understand them and do them. This is just a summation of the mature Christian who then in turn has the desire to serve God by caring for his people. But no one should be excused from any of these things. There's not one thing I could find that no one should not want in their life or have in their life. If you want to tell me there's one thing that you think you shouldn't have in your life and you don't need it, I would love to have that conversation with you. You're going to have a, a, a real good time. We're not going to be quarrelsome. We're going to discuss it. But I would love to hear your definition, explanation of why one of these things you don't want in the full realization of your life you think you don't need. I'll be very honest with you. When, when, when we pray, and uh, a lot of times when we have the area elders meetings, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I know I, I pray this frequently, especially the men. My prayer is that every man would meet every one of these qualifications doesn't matter if he becomes an elder or not. My prayer is every man, every believer, absolutely, but every man especially reaches all these things in the fullness of his life to the glory of God. Amen? Study them. Meditate on them. Find where you're weak. Don't worry about, well, if I do this, they're going to make me an elder. It's not going to happen. You're safe. You come up to me and say, listen, I'm working on my violence, but if I, if I become not violent, will you make me an elder? No, don't worry about it. You're fine. Just focus on these things in your life and grow and mature them. Give glory to God as, as you mature in him and watch the impact you have in other people's lives. Others will do the elders' work. The work of elders. Long list. James says, anyone is sick, go to the elders and they will pray for him. 
Hebrews 13, we're told to watch out for the saints. 1 Timothy, we actually commend workers who are going full-time out into the work. I think one of the most important things for elders to do in a church, and I mean this in all sincerity, sincerity, is stay out of the way. I, I know I say this all the time, you all have gifts. If I'm doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're never going to do it. Sometimes you may see something, and you may see an elder not doing it, you go, what's his problem? Was he think he above it? No. Nope. Just staying out of the way so you can do it. I'm, I'm being completely honest. Said, what, are they too good for it? Why don't they do that? Why don't they do this? Well, if I do it, you're not going to. You're going to say, I don't have to. He's doing it. We stay out of the way. The among the many roles and work of the elders is the Holy Spirit is inspiring you to serve God in some capacity. And then you come to the elders and we find a way to integrate it into the church or in outreach. But we do it together. You come to us so that there's unity. We don't want conflict. I'm doing that. No, I'm doing that. No, I'm doing that. I said it first. Boom, done. The elders decide and we put it together so that there's unity and wholeness in the body of Christ. You understand? But our job is to stay out of the way and encourage you and support you and pray for you so you can do what God's calling you to do. We oversee our ministries. There are more things that are coming in chapter 5 that I'm going to skip. You may wonder why I'm not mentioning them. Um, so I'm not touching on everything. But in Hebrews 13, 17, will you turn there with me, please? Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you. So forget everything I said about not ruling. No, I'm just kidding. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. That would be unprofitable for you. You all have been and are wonderfully, wonderfully supportive of the office of elders. I want to tell you that in all sincerity, um, I do not see this as a, as a problem or a place of rebuke or condemnation from this verse for this assembly. I think you are um, amazingly, amazingly supportive. And so we say thank you very much for how much you understand what we do. Um, but I do want to point out the, the, the parity of the relationship. You may not like what we say or what we do, but know our mission and our objective is for you. We are watching out for your souls and we are accountable for it. Every elder is going to stand before God how we did. So let us do so with joy and not with grief. Because as Paul, as uh, the writer of the Hebrews says, guess Paul, that would be unprofitable for you. Your best interest is our prerogative. And again, I want to stress uh, last couple thoughts. The importance of plurality. Church leadership must always be plural, never singular. 
not just because it's the pattern that it says. That's good enough. Every church we see in the New Testament, there are elders, not an elder overseeing a church. Plurality protects the assembly. It protects you from any one person's agenda or any one person's weakness in any area. You guys probably realize this, but you have three very different people who are elders. You know how unique we each are? We're, We're very different people. God put us here because there's different people here. I may appeal to somebody that, that Joe doesn't. Joe may appeal to somebody that doesn't appeal to me and John and so on. So we're here because everyone has a need. We all have different strengths. But we all do the same work. There has to be accountability. We are accountable to each other. We are accountable to you. But we are accountable to each other. And plurality allows us to do that as we oversee the church. And leadership can be lonely. Plurality allows elders to share the struggles and the heartaches and the joys together with some things we can't share with others, but we can share them with each other and avoid the loneliness of leadership. You'll see many churches uh, with a a one leader, I'll just say, I'm not going to use any words, just a, a one leader kind of church, they get burnout. And we do too. We get a little burnout too. We need to refresh and restore ourselves. But by having plurality, we have a better chance of avoiding that because we can encourage each other and help each other. As Peter said, Christ is the great shepherd, and we are sheep too. We're doing what everyone should be doing, which is what has God called you to do. We're not special or above anything. We have a call to serve the Lord by serving you. Branford Bible Chapel is Branford Bible Chapel because of you not because of the elders. It's not our agenda. It's not what we designed this church to be. It's because of you. You are the body. We're working hard to ensure the Lord Jesus Christ is preeminent and first. That the assembly conducts itself in a consistent biblical pattern. That every saint exercises their priestly duty. Every saint exercises their gifts. That we avoid false teaching. And that we are guided to grow into the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ that the body is prayed for, that the body is encouraged and comforted. Let us all desire these things. Let us all desire these things. Let's all pursue these qualifications in our lives to the glory of God. And let us all serve the chief shepherd. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the chief shepherd who laid down his life. He was not one who was a hireling who would run and hide at trouble, but he faced trouble and he ran into it and took it on, on our behalf. Lord, help the elders to shepherd the church in the same way, with self-sacrifice, with humility and grace, with a passion and a love for your body the way you love them. Give us unity as we work together. And Lord, I thank you for this assembly. I thank you for their support of the eldership, for their encouragement, and uh, for their love for you. Uh, It is encouraging and inspiring when we see how much they love you. So thank you, Lord. I ask your blessing on this assembly. And uh, as we need, uh, have many needs and needs to grow, and in ways to grow in love and increase in love for one another, uh, we want to do this all for your glory. 
So thank you for loving us and loving us first. And we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a great week.